The Writer's Room, a 7th C podcast, is endorsed by Chaosium, Inc. For more information, visit www.chaosiuminc.com forward slash 7th C and use the code WRITER10 for 10% off your next site-wide purchase. Limit one per customer. Hello, friends. Let's hear that door creak. Ah, yes. Thank you, Officer Cheshire. And Officer Raven has just finished fluffing your pillow. Welcome back. I don't have many announcements today, other than if you haven't voted for me or Patrick or Weston of Arcane Anthems or Jolene Core in the Crit Awards, I suggest you do that now. Voting ends July 9th, and the winners will be announced at Gen Con at 6 p.m. on Thursday. If you're attending Gen Con, make sure to snag yourself a ticket. If you're not attending Gen Con, you can always watch the virtual show. You know that Greg's gonna have it on the TV. Speaking of Greg, Officer Nightingale, is the tea ready? Awesome. Officer Covington, the plushies, are they plushed? Fantastic. Officers Tarkin and Stewart, no milk? Delightful. Officer Durs, who greeted you at the door, has taken his seat, which means all of our friends are present and accounted for, so without further ado, Officer V, the book, if you please. Thank you. You all remember where we left off? Lots of lore building, lots of character connections, seven ships, and a lot of fuckery. And this brings me to a content warning. There is a death in this episode. We made sure to have extra plushies this time around. Without further ado, <clears throat> Article 9, Finding Out. The camera dissolves from black. We are focusing in slowly. There are vague shapes as the shadows begin to recede. There is something rolling up and away from the camera's lens. And as we begin to focus, we realize that it's the lapping of the waves on the beach. The foreground is in focus right now, so we focus on the wave as it slaps over the lens and recedes and those little droplets of water fall off of it. And as it focuses in the background, we see smoke rising from the water. We see flames as ships are burning. We see the thorn docked a little ways out. We also see, as it focuses even more in the very background, a monstrous shape looming over the thorn. The camera smash cuts onto the deck of the thorn, looking up at this creature. Now, imagine, if you will, a thresher shark. Red in coloration with a soft, pale white underbelly. Make it the size of a blue whale. And then I want you to take a person, the same coloration, and give it shark features. Pectoral fins on the back of her forearms... A fin-like membrane in between the three fingers and her thumb on her hands. Dorsal fin on the back. Three lines of gills on either side of her neck and either side of her ribcage. 
When she smiles, it's rows and rows and rows and rows of jagged shark teeth. And as the camera is panning around to give us a good view, we know that the rest of Ruby appears to be a mermaid of sorts, with her massive thresher tail coming up on the other side of the thorn, as though she is cradling it. And I want you to take the original thresher shark, the whale-sized one, and wear it as a hat, with the point of its snout acting as the brim. And that is Ruby. She still has the same predator eyes as a shark would, however, they glisten with a bit of gold as she looks down upon the crew of the thorn. I think there's still a lot of sweat and gunpowder char on Angelica's face. Her hair is looking more windswept than usual because of all the winds kicked up by the maelstrom and then also the added salt water of diving underneath the waves and coming back up again. But I think her expression is one of mostly shock and maybe a small hint of curiosity. I think that shifts back and forth between defensive and thankful. If there's any visual indicator that we are able to see as the audience that something in her eyes changes, maybe the gold flecks flash a little brighter, she's reading this thing as it approaches. Oh! Right away. Capital R read? Capital R. It's fucking Ruby. It is absolutely Ruby. And when you read Ruby's threads, it's not threads. It is kelp or seaweed. The really long red ones with the frills. And it's massive. It's attached to the ship. One kelp is attached to Mallory. One is attached and encompassing Dala. One is draped over you like a cape. Diego, yours is like a cool like half cape thing. I'm gonna go ahead and say that while you're reading, physical obstructions don't matter to you. Your line of sight when you're reading isn't obscured by like, oh, the ship's in my way, I can't see what's beneath me. That huge massive stalk of kelp leads all the way down to the bottom of the ocean and spreads. And when you look out to sea, you can see how far it reaches. The roots of this massive thing of kelp leads all the way back to the Atabayan. Well, I would venture to say we've been feeding you enough over the past few months. I never thought you would get this big. Ruby smiles, and it is rows upon rows upon rows upon rows upon rows. It is almost an endless maw of teeth. Up until this point, Mallory has been clutching the cracked and bleeding stone, so much so that, like, the silver has started to, like, leak through their fingers. So they've been very distracted at the moment. But when they see Ruby sort of peering over the ship and starting to sort of interact and listen to the other people on board, they take their bandana off and they tie the stone up in a little bundle, put it in their pocket very securely, and their face absolutely switches from this anxious, worried expression to just a equally large, equally manic grin as they look back at Ruby. They run over and like go up to the bow of the ship and put their hands down and like look up. You are really something spectacular, aren't you? Oh, goodness. Ruby nods. Coco's been afraid of you for so long and I guess, I guess this is why. She leans back and folds her arms over her chest and lets out a big, bellowing laugh. 
the whole sea like rumbles when she does that. Does it take energy to transform like that? She nods her head. Will you have to shrink back down at some point? She nods her head. All right. Can you speak? She lifts her head up and we see this rotating of the jaw. It opens all the way up. On second thought. (laughs) And when she rotates her jaw back, she opens her mouth a little bit and says, I think so. Hi. How's it? I hope that doesn't consume energy for you either. If can, can. If no can, no can. Are you going to keep following our ship? If you stay coming fast kind, slow kind, I stay coming. If you no stay go, I no stay go. Okay? And is there anything else you'd like from us to maintain this, um, this blessing or this boon that you've <laughs> so graciously provided for us? No need to nothing. I like the thorn. You know, quit. Well, you don't have to worry about that. Not anymore. And Diego has climbed up the railing of the ship. And that's when you see his half cloak. Because he's been taking a quick dip in the water post-battle. And it has removed all the blood that was in his hair and his on his body and everything. And then he gets up and approaches. Thank you very much, Ruby. You are incredible out there. Hey, you no small kind either. Fierce kahuna. You and your brothers. Her finger comes down as if to, like, shake your hand, but it's fucking enormous. Diego has to do the two-handed handshake. Mahalo. Ruby, I don't suppose that you would, um, you would have taken notice of one of the newer additions to our ship. Her name is Tia. She's Ohana. My auntie. Is that right? I hope you understand we're trying to uh, bring her back to her bed, I suppose. She grins really wide and says, Why you think I no champ, eh? (laughs) As she's laughing, she is shrinking. And she shrinks down smaller and smaller and smaller. And Ruby is the thresher shark once more. She slaps her tail three times and dives beneath the water. I hope Ruby's teeth are okay after all that. She's due for a cleaning soon. Dala comes up from below decks, still wiping some blood off of her hands. Diego approaches Dala immediately. How is he? I think he's going to be okay. He's not awake yet, but I think we should just let him sleep as long as he needs to. When you started talking about him, you could tell Diego is starting to make the motion to continue to walk around and go see him. So when Dala mentions the let him sleep, that's when Diego like stops and realizes it's no real point. So then he sort of looks antsy on the top deck. Dala's gonna put a, a hand on his shoulder. We'll take shifts. He won't be by himself. You can check on him soon. Try to keep busy. 
Angelica walks up to the two of you. Mr. Iglesias, please oversee the repairs. There's a lot of work to be done on this ship. Of course. And I think Angelica is going to go down and check on Paco for the first time because she's been busy with the top decks until now. It is not the Iglesias brothers that are with Paco right now. It is Wesley. Wesley is sitting there humming a little inish tune to himself. He looks a little haggard. He definitely looks damp, like waterlogged, like everyone else. I was going to say, everyone must vaguely look a little like drowned cats. <laughs> For Wesley, he has this curl in his hair that when you add seawater, just gets worse. It is just this bouncy, vivid, salt-crusted plume of hair. Could I have the room, Mr. Wesley? Oh, of course, Captain. He's going to be all right. Aye. He's a fighter. I know. We have a good doctor. Dala's going to wait outside the door. I think she went down with Angelica, assuming she was going to like accompany her. But Angelica wants the room. Dala will just wait outside. <laughs> In case he wakes up or makes any noise, she wants to be right there. Wesley steps outside and he closes the door. Hi, Dala. Can I ask you a favor? Sure. Would it be alright if I got a hug? Dala doesn't say anything, she just gives him a hug. He doesn't, like, open his arms, he just kind of, like, lets you fucking envelop mm. him. Yup. I feel like this isn't the first time this has happened, and so they don't need to talk about it. Gives a little squeeze, just enough so his feet come off the floor just a little bit, and then puts him back down. <laughs> She's used to this. Leans into you, you hear a little sniffle. You know, his emotions need to leak out of his face, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Happens to the best of us. And when he leans back, he rubs his nose all the way along his arm. All right, so anything you want me to do? I think we're okay. Maybe uh, check back in a bit in case we need someone else to take another shift, but go get some rest. Yeah, I think I'll do that. Have a bit of the old draft and then have me a good, nice, long rest. Uh, wake me if you need anything. Mm-hmm. And he heads off to his bunk. Angelica, the camera sneaks under the door and we go back to you. Angelica is kneeling at the side of Paco's bed. She's resting her head against the side of it and doesn't even dare to hold his hand. But she has her hands gripping the edge of it like a pew in a church, as if she were praying. Do not do this to me, hermano. I don't know what would happen to me if I were to lose someone else. I know you never got to meet her, but my mother, Renata, used to say there was too much pride in me for such a little girl. And Coraline would box my ears if I told her the plan I had come up with for today. I got blindly overconfident in our abilities. It was stupid. And it will not happen again, Paco. I promise. There is no answer from Paco. But our fight against the ATC? The work is not done. Not by a long shot. And we need you with us to finish it. There's only just the soft, resting breathing of a man who is hurt, but healing. What does Paco's thread look like? Oh, I was hoping you were going to ask me that question. 
His thread is very similar to what Diego's thread looks like. It's the, the three binds of yellow, red, and gold rope. But instead of three colors, there are four of them. And then off of that are woven in two more. That is representative of himself, his three brothers, his sister, his brother-in-law, and you. His rope is frayed. And without the other ropes around it, it would have snapped. You rest. I'm going to make this worth it. And she stands and will go to leave the surgeon's room. You definitely would have heard a little sniff right before the door opened while Dala, like, is trying to keep herself together. <laughs> uh, Miss Bronson, um, uh, thank you. You've performed admirably. They look at each other. Dala, let's not cry in front of each other. No, Please. I didn't see anything. I don't think either of us could take it. We'd be completely useless afterwards. Like, I won't talk about it if you won't talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> It's one of those things where she doesn't really know what to do, and Angelica's hands get antsy when she's emotional like this, and so she just awkwardly kind of pats Dalla's arm. I think Dalla also does it back, because she's in a similar state of like, I don't know how to comfort her, she's my boss, but also, so just like at the same time, kind of awkward, pat, pat, okay, let's, whew, moving on. Excellent work, as usual. Just kind of like nods at her. Well, alerts me if anything changes. Yep. And she goes back up top and immediately reverts back into her captain voice. Has nobody thought to swab the deck? You think just because we go underwater for a few seconds, I want seaweed growing on our timber? Step to it, Cazadores. She's just making stuff up to yell. Yeah, she's just yelling busy work to seem and feel in control again. <laughs> Literally, everybody is doing exactly what you're saying before you say it. And so it's like, grab those... Bring up the... Somebody bring me a goddamn bucket of limes. They just show up next to you. Someone was ready. <laughs> Oliver is holding the bucket and then realizes, oh, wrong bucket. <laughs> no, oh not that God. bucket. <laughs> and Dala will go back to watching Paco until someone else comes by. I imagine like hour long shifts or so. Just always having someone with him, keeping an eye on him. The funny thing about stab wounds is that you can close them and you can stop them, but the internal bleeding is what will actually kill you. Or the infection. Or the infection, because it's 1668. And while we are more advanced than our reality 1668 is medically, it's still pretty touch and go and pretty dicey. What are antibiotics? Yeah, <laughs> you're watching for a fever starts to set in. That's usually a, a dangerous sign constant watch for the next 24 hours until he makes it through the worst of it. Diego, what is it that you are doing as the camera kind of follows you? Staying busy. I imagine that after the shock has worn off for the Iglesias brothers, they, you know, including Diego, start to have this energy and it's the energy you get when you really want to change things. But there's just absolutely nothing you can do. But you still have the want and the urge. So whatever the 
chores around the ship are are being done with much more fervor and gusto than than usual. Mm-hmm. Yes. And yes. I imagine one of them is down in the kitchen with a mortal and pestle and grinding up paella so that it's not like a food you would need to oh. chew. Oh, for Paco. Oh my god, yes. Yes. Uh, what's Paco's favorite food? Quick. Empanadas. Awesome. The brothers are getting together and they're making the pastry to make the empanadas. El Tigre is uh, furiously kneading large batches of dough in the kitchen. Like, all three of them are in the kitchen. Diego, you find them. And they look up at you immediately. They have the look of, uh, we definitely want to talk, but we don't know what to say. We don't know how to begin. But once we begin, we'll be fine. But the three of us cannot come up with the words right now. Good work. We will continue preparing food. Tulio, I know a chalkboard is not the medium that we would want, but I was wondering if you would draw us, because Inigo has not gotten a chance to meet any of us. Is there a chalkboard handy? Have you checked the drawer lately? I, I will go get them. You go to the drawer, you open it. There are small bits of food uh, still kind of stuck on the inside of the drawer. But, and I'm spending a danger point here, there are chalkboards there, but they seem to have been washed. There is nothing on them. And when you open the drawer all the way, water pours out of the drawer. And you look around the room and you realize everything is soaked. Because we went under the water. Oh, shit. Excellent. Well done. Well done. Which means, unfortunately, the note from your son is washed away as well. Ow. Yeah, because he hung that one up, too. It just means you're going to have to get another one. But the chalkboards are there. Yeah, he will bring them back so that Tulio can get started. And also because it'll give them something relaxing to be forced to do. It'll give him an excuse to sit in with Paco for a while. Yeah, Enrique does come up to you and sits down. I managed to get him as many colored chalks as I could. Uh, he kind of demanded that it be in color, I guess. I don't know. He's very particular when it comes to this kind of thing. Once he gets going, he really gets going. It's really hard to stop him. Uh, we have to remind him to drink water every once in a while, too. The brothers and I have been um, been chatting. And this was... Uh, Paco was also chatting with us beforehand. But we wanted to bring it to your attention. I want to know your thoughts on this, brother. We want to make Amboise an honorary Iglesias. He has been instrumental in, in helping us reunite with our sister and our nephew. Getting us out of jail. Uniting all of us, really, from the beginning. Angelica, too. You are brilliant. And Diego will do the European kiss on both cheeks. He kisses back. That is perfect. But I know nothing about the man. He knows so much about us, and we know very little about him. And I feel that that is doing the man a disservice. Of course I encourage him to keep any and all secrets that he needs. But no, I, I definitely want to know what's going on. And more importantly, how we can, how we can help him. Because I, I agree. He has been incredible. And we, we need him. We need to do something for him. 
We need to let them know that we're not just using him for his ability either. His blood is our blood every time he sheds it. But of course. I was thinking. He's been talking about getting this ancient mysterious sword. And, well, you know how I like to do weapon and armor themed gifts for birthdays. Well, <laughs> of course. I still have the tiny dagger that you whittled for me to pick my teeth with. That's super cute. <laughs> Well, Angelica seems to like daggers, so I figured I should make one for everyone that year. And I'm glad you like the tiny one. It's so small. It fits perfectly right in the back. Gets the gold tooth nice and clean. You know that he dual wields. So if he's going to get a powerful weapon, I feel like he needs a second powerful weapon to help defend himself. I think he would look a little silly to have a normal everyday sword alongside a bright, glowing one from what the stories say anyway. So we need to find something to accompany that. So that way he can focus on his goal and we can make sure he stays safe and looks good while doing it. Of course, and not just aesthetically, but also we need to make sure that his weapons are balanced as well. You know, he's got this sorcier killing holy relic sword. We have to give him something of equal and greater measure, if not better, you know, to balance it out. While I was being held captive over in the Atabayan, Fort Freedom. They talked a lot about uh, the discoveries of the New World, and um, I remember them speaking about these these weapons. Not God slayers, per se, but definitely weapons that were blessed by gods. Now, of course, us being devout Vaticines, we thought that this was all hearsay. Why would Deus come down and bless a weapon? That seems silly. Unless it's the prophet's sword, of course. Of course. He makes the sign of the cross as he says that because it is a holy relic that actually does exist and is in the Vaticine itself. But, uh, I think they were, um, uh, I forget the name of it, I don't know, uh, started with a, a Z, I guess? Does one of their brother finish his sentence? It's not Tulio, because Tulio's busy art, and it's not Paco, because Paco is asleep. It's Alejandro. Literally walks by the open door. Zemarin. I can never remember anything. Ah, yeah, Zemarin. Alejandro, do you remember? Of course I remember, I remember everything. When Alejandro's not busy. I'm always busy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but when Alejandro says he is busy, it is not always the same as when you or I are on shift and are busy. I think we should get together and talk about it. And, and, and I know that Paco might remember some things, but uh, I think we should start there. If we truly want to give the Iglesias gift, I think we should start with the... Uh, the Samarin? Samarin weapon. Excellent. Well, it feels good to have a direction. Thank you. Anytime, brother. Anytime. And he pats you on the back twice and uh, heads back to the kitchen. He's got more empanadas to make. I have to chop them up real small. Yeah. Hey, Mallory. Hey, hey. What do you got going on? Mallory's probably back in the lab. I mean, I guess the first thing they do is take stock of what's ruined by the seawater and the flooding and what isn't. Hmm. I'm out of gunpowder at this point, I imagine. All of the gunpowder, unless it was heavily sealed in waterproof crates, is wet. It's not ruined by any means. Just needs to be dried out a bit. So you gotta lay it on sheets. Not parchment sheets, but um, a non-porous sheet. We'll do that in a bit. The first thing they have to lay out on the table is they take the little blue bandana out, set it down, and just very carefully unwrap it. 
I imagine at this point the silver blood has started to like seep into the fabric itself and it is soaked through the fabric in one spot yes they unwrap it and once again gently sort of cup it in their hand and just start whispering are you there can you hear me all right you hear a lot of pained noises no no don't don't try to speak if you can't that's fine Mallory, it, it hurts i've got you what do you need? What can I get for you? I... I don't know. Mallory, I don't know. That terrifies me. Shh. I don't know. No, it's, it's okay. You don't have to know. I've got you. And I, I know everything. I, I know everything. We're getting close to Numa soon, which is full of powerful texts and artifacts. And surely there's someone or something there that can help you. Surely. Just, just hold on a little longer for me, all right? Who are you talking to? Ah. ah! Sorry, I didn't mean to scare you. Oh, hi, Alvara. Mallory quickly sort of folds the bandana back around the stone and once again places it in their pocket. Just, um, just talking t- to myself, really. Oh, well, I don't blame you for that. You, um, we went under the water. I, I don't know if you saw. I, um, well, I, I caught a glimpse of it, yes. Those trapdoors worked really well. I admit I don't know anything on fluid dynamics, but yes, they certainly sank the ship. And even though Master Kieran said I wouldn't need to worry, I couldn't help but gasp for air as your lab filled with seawater. And we were under the water, fully submerged. Right? When you intentionally open trapdoors in the hull of your ship, it does tend to take on water, yes. But then we came back up. You're right. I saw that bit as well. That's what I'm having difficulty understanding, Doctor. How did we gain buoyancy? And enough inertia to expel all the water out? It's not feasible in such a short amount of time. Unless this is one of your experiments. Mallory, Alvara seems incredibly anxious. She's fiddling with the chains on her glasses. She's constantly twirling them in her fingers. And you recognize this because she seems to be faced with a problem she cannot solve. At least not with the knowledge that she has. Zoe, at this point, could Mallory, knowing what they now know about Angelica's deal with the devil Jonah, could they make a scientific deduction about the magic that pulled the ship out of the water? Like, like, could they assume that was the devil Jonah's power? It's certainly not outside the realm of possibility. This is within Jonah's wheelhouse, so to speak. Gotcha. Oh, um, well, you're correct in your initial assumption, I'm afraid. That wasn't any of my doing. I designed a lot of this ship, but I never designed it to do something like that. Though now that you mention it, maybe I could. They shake their head, trying not to get too lost in a new engineering challenge. Anyway, that was, um, I suspect that was, uh, the captain's doing. And how exactly did she do this? By all accounts, it's impossible. Not for Villanova Fate Witch. Her sorcery defies any scientific reasoning and allows for maneuvers that would otherwise be impossible. Ah. I see. Alvara stops ringing the chains, placated by that explanation for now, even if she can't solve it completely at this moment. Well, the creator put us in the face of adversity, and we persevered. We passed this test, which means I can continue to watch the stars. (sighs) And Alvara can't see it, but, um, they look away, 
they, they can't make eye contact with her because they're lying or choosing to withhold information from her. Speaking of the stars, thought I might gain your expertise on something. Oh, sure. What would you like to know? In your professional opinion, what do stars eat? Eat. Understanding that they don't consume food the way we do, obviously, but they do need fuel, and they do produce energy. Light, heat, gravitational pull, that energy is not born of nothing. Sure. So what would you say from a metaphorical standpoint, completely metaphorical, utterly, hypothetically, what do stars eat? Ah, well, are you aware of what the stars are made of? Ooh. Mallory's mouth tightens again at this, and they have to, like, physically bite their tongue to keep from admitting what they saw in the telescope with Coco's eyes. Maybe a bit more than you expect. What was that? Uh, um, nothing. Anyway, I'm not an astronomer by trade, but if I remember your writing, you discovered almost a decade ago that the pure energy, nuclear fusion to be exact, I admit I don't remember the specifics, but I do recall my father reading that article from the Invisible College's publications. He adored it. Ah, well, thank you. They are 73% hydrogen, 25% helium, and the last 2% is a variety of various elements. You see, the stars don't actually twinkle. It is these gaseous forms that constantly crash into each other. Imagine, if you will... Right, right. I understand that they start with a collection of dust and gas and burn through it. Or rather, they crush it together into larger and larger elements and expel the energy lost outward into space. Right. But what do they do when they run out of that? What happens if they're running out of themselves to burn? One of two things. It explodes or collapses into oblivion. Or usually both. I can't say I like the sound of either option. What do you mean by that? Well, all that energy and pressure has to go somewhere, right? So, without overcomplicating things, that explosion of yours, I assumed you used a copper compound to make the flames blue, acted much like a star. As a star creates heavier and heavier elements, the density and pressure builds in its core. And if it builds up enough, it'll eventually burst outward. It creates a void, yes, much like your explosion, but it also propels fuel and mass. With enough force, an exploding star can create new galaxies. And then there's the maelstrom. It has its own gravitational pull, strong enough to devour an entire fleet if it's big enough, pulling everything around it into itself. It creates nothing and leaves nothing. A sea swallowing itself. Oh, uh, oh that, that's terrifying. They grip the stone a little harder in their pocket. Are you sure there's nothing else? No other fuel for them to subsist on? Well... Actually, Dr. McCoy, now that you mention it, I do think I've recently discovered a new way for a star to burn. Out of her front apron pocket, she takes out a piece of paper, and then it disintegrates in her hand because of how sodden it is. She then tries to find a dry piece of paper, fails, and eventually takes the pencil that's tucked in one of her other pockets and begins to draw on the wood of your desk. This is one of the things I was looking to confirm with the new reflecting telescope. Three months ago, in the Meloweth galaxy, I witnessed a very peculiar flash, and it was unlike any supernova I had ever seen. Far faster and brighter than any supernova has any right to be. After comparing it to my notes, I don't think it's a supernova at all. 
I think it was a collision. A collision? You could see them collide. I always figured they were too far apart, or, or move too slowly, or just... Or just be too improbable for that to happen. Yes, I've only just been able to observe such a thing with the new telescope. And it requires the right ratio of size and distance. But these stars did in fact cross each other's paths. And their gravity pulled them together. And boom! Collision. The result was an explosion, certainly. But in addition to the flash, there is now an even bigger star forming in the middle of it. I'll show you sometime tonight, if it's not too cloudy. A bigger star? So the two stars, they, they merged somehow? They did. So, to your metaphor, if stars run out of things to eat, they can always, well, eat each other. Their gravity is incredible, and the sky is a lonely place. If they get close enough to each other, they will fall into one another with forces greater than you and I could ever imagine. And once that happens, they just take the fusion and elements from another star and absorb them. By the colors coming from the lenses, that blast could rival the power of our sun. I see. That's fascinating, Alva. I'm not sure if it was the answer I was looking for, but, well, asked and answered. Anything else you wanted to ask me? Yes, about this one thesis that you wrote. About dead constellations? I wanted to double-check something with some of the new readings. Yes, yes, of course. Yada, 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 yada. <laughs> we transition away from that scene. I think Saya comes to find you, Angelica. I think at this point, Angelica is scouring the ship, trying not to appear panicked, but definitely panicking. And if anyone can tell that immediately, it's her wife. Saya has been standing behind you for the past five minutes. And when you get up to turn around and go anywhere. Oh, Angelica's been on the move. I think they just run into each other. She's not sitting as a ball of anxiety. She's frantically searching her ship for the god that's supposed to be on board and her porte sorcerer. Saya has been following behind you quietly this whole time. And then finally, when she's kind of had enough of you panicking, because she's been trying to figure out if you're okay or not without intervening immediately. She won't intervene unless it's absolutely necessary. Yeah. And finally, she does grab you by your shoulders and stop you and stand in front of you. Uh, hi. Hi. Have you seen Amboise? No. Have you seen the girl? No. Hi. Okay, okay. We have to find them. I, I can't let them... And she puts both of her hands on the side of your cheeks. Need to breathe. And you have to trust your sorcerer to go it alone. I don't trust that thing alone with anyone. And you're valid. You do, however, need to trust an Amboise. And he probably took Tia with him. He told me explicitly she was not to be allowed near it. Amboise does not make frivolous requests. And we've done our job. It's his turn to do his. If he took her beyond the door, then we have to trust that he knows what he's doing. <sighs> I... You're right. As usual. I'm sorry. It's been a long day already. She kisses your forehead and kind of lets her lips lay there for a little bit. Angelica lets her arms encircle Saya's waist, and she just quietly holds her there for a minute. Oh, there's my ladies. Kieran's arms come around and hold you from behind, holding Saya. Oh. Ah. Uh, Theus above. Hmm? What is it? It seems even the sea itself spat out your ex. He's coming this way. Dame paciencia. 
Well, at least that's something I actually know how to deal with. Yes, and if you wouldn't mind some company, I'd love to go with you. Well, ladies, you're going to have to count me out of this one. I'm going to stay behind. (laughs) I don't deign to give that man the time of day since the last time he insulted my art. Angelica runs her fingers gently through Kieran's beard, and she says, I'll make him eat his words, darling. Oh, don't just make him eat them. Make him choke on it. Well, at that point, he may already have too much of my boot in his throat. Wait, are you going to wear the nines? The ones that I bought you for special occasions? She grins at him. For a dangerous away mission? Why would I wear anything else? Oh, darling, the thought of that man choking on your nine and shields is giving me <laughs> irrational thoughts <laughs> and ideas. And Kieran gives a quick kiss to you and a kiss to Saya and waltzes over <laughs> to the helm. Hurry back, my darlings. Please don't keep me waiting long. Okay, so the Heartbreaker is on our tail or approaching us at dock right now? You're deep water docked because that was the only way that Ruby could get to you in her giant form. Captain Tarani's ship leisurely making its way over to you. She does not even alert the rest of the crew. I think she just walks from wherever she had this little moment with her partners through her quarters and then out onto her gallery where all her plants and garden equipment is being brought back out and put on there by the deckhands to get them in the sun and the air. And she leans over the railing and gives a little whistle down towards the water. Uh, We see Ruby's thresher tail come up and do figure eights. As she's leaning casually on the railing, she calls down to Ruby. So I know you've already had so much to eat, but what would you say to a small snack? Ruby lifts her head up out of the water, looks over at uh, the pink ship that is coming, and looks directly at you, and you can swear to fucking God that she turns her nose up at it. (laughs) How about the ride, then? Ruby slaps her tail twice, indicating yes. And I will put my armor on Saya's waist and step up onto the railing with her. Are you ready to have some more fun? Oh, I'm always ready when it comes to you, dear. (laughs) (laughs) Angelica calls out, Captain disembarking! And we step off the railing and into the water. Head over to the Heartbreaker, where they have a rope ladder that they roll down as soon as they see you approaching. Mateo is on the ropes that are on the side of the ship, uh, the net that like leads up into the, the rigging. I don't know what that's actually called. The shrouds. Thank you. I knew you would know. And he is leaning off of the shrouds, watching you approach on the shark. Amore, you know I don't like pets on my ship. As she lets go of Ruby, she gives her a little pat and she starts climbing up the side of the ship. I don't keep many pets these days. The last dog in my life turned on me. I've been turned off them ever since. (laughs) Garamia, I know it has been a long time since we last lay together, but I don't think I gave you permission to come aboard. Permission? Did you hear that, Saya? You are being boarded, Captain Tarani. (laughs) Captain de la Sombra, there are only two of you, and there are at least twenty of us. You are outnumbered, dear. Arithmetic was never my strongest subject. And she leaps down onto his deck and looks around at whoever is gathered. Can we start a risk? Absolutely. (laughs) God.
But before that, we are going to empty what we have to empty, refill what we have to refill, and take a quick break to tell you all about our sponsors. We here at the Writer's Room are extremely fond of immersion, and the Crafty Gamer helps us do that with their line of soy-based candles called Aromas of Adventure. They are designed to enhance immersion through scent, to bring you to your favorite tavern, or to your local bakery, or perhaps a dragon's den. Wherever it is that you're going in your game, they are sure to have one most befitting the setting. If you're in the market for Aromas of Adventure and other tabletop-inspired merchandise, visit thecraftygamer.com. And if you use the code WRITERSROOM, all capitals, no spaces, you'll get 10% off your next purchase. So why not get immersed? And while we're on the topic of immersion, Many Worlds Tavern is also a delightful way to really get you in the game. They are an online coffee company that provides coffee for your game night and tea for your tabletop. All of us right now are extremely fond of Sacred Spring, which is one of their uncaffeinated spiced teas. With notes of spices and dark juicy fruit, Sacred Spring tastes like a mulled wine. It reminds me of falling leaves and cozy sweaters by the fireside. And their normal line of tea and coffee is not the only thing. They also have a flagship product called Treasured Realm. On the first of every month, they release a limited edition batch of coffee, which only a thousand bags are ever made. And every order comes with a bunch of goodies. A numbered card, a limited edition sticker, a D&D 5e magic item, and a set of dice. So, if you're in the market for more immersion and to stay hydrated, go to ManyWorldsTavern.com. And the first 100 friends to use the code WRITERS10, all capitals, one zero, at checkout will receive 10% off your order. And the other reason we love Many Worlds is because they give back to the community. Every dollar of each bag purchased is donated to gaming-related nonprofits. Now, we here at the Writers' Room are big supporters of real art by real people in all of their creatively expressive forms. If you're members on our Discord and active on our socials, you will have seen all the incredible illustrations made by the lovely and talented Emery Chelsberg, who voices Dr. Mallory McCoy on the show. We have official Fate of the Thorn masterpieces, and if you head over to his gallery using the link in our description, you can purchase those fine prints for yourself. And know that 100% of those proceeds go directly to him. And keep a weather eye out on the horizon for more gorgeous art as we continue to sail along. And speaking of artisans, we'd like to take this time to talk about the delightful Brittany Muth, who plays Dalla Bronson. While she portrays our shipwright and doctor on the show, she has an incredible gift for crafting ceramic pottery. From mugs and dishware to vases and cups, these one-of-a-kind pieces are handmade with love right in her Rhode Island-based studio. July 5th, she had a shop drop, and there's still some wares in there. So, if you go to oceanblueceramic.square.site and use the code BIGLADY, B-I-G-L-A-D-Y, all caps, you'll get 10% off your purchase. And last, but certainly not least, we'll take this moment to shout out our Kofi officers. Raven, V, Nightingale, Covington, Stewart, Tarkin, Cheshire, Thrith, 
Enders. Thank you so much for helping us keep this crazy ship afloat. If you would like to join the ranks of these fine folks, as well as myself in the writer's room at the top of each episode, sign up to be a part of our Kofi crew. Every donation you make directly funds the podcast, so we can continue to make more of the pirate content you crave and love. All of the links to our sponsors, as well as the respective discount codes for them, are in the description of this article. Whew. All right. Let's get back to this crazy risk, shall we? What's your approach? (laughs) (laughs) I think we're going to go with panache and aim. Oh, okay. Love that. There's a lot of panache going on here. Absolutely. It's the same amount of dice, even if I'd chosen finesse anyway, but panache just feels more appropriate for this moment. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Take two for flair. Okay. Take any other dice that will help you and give you more to your pool. So I do have Deadeye, but I think that just, I gain a bonus die when I make an aim risk. Oh, there we go. So that's one more. That will help. I will use sea legs. I'm on a ship. You are on a ship. Anything else I can push to my advantage? Now, this is silly. I love silly. Give it to me. My hubris is relentless. You receive a hero point when you refuse to leave well enough alone. Yeah. (laughs) Or quit while you're ahead and it gets you in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Go ahead and activate that. (laughs) So I have a total of nine hero points at the moment. Fucking Christ. And I think... That's all the things I can call upon at the moment. Yeah, she's not commanding. This is a dangerous course of action. It's not destiny, though. It's just petty. In fact, when you read (laughs) whips, those are his threads. They are not attached to anything. (laughs) If they are, it is just the barest grip. The ATC is there. You can see, like, the threads leading there, but it's very easily removable. There's one that is attached to you, but it's more like if I brush it off, it'll fall right off. I like the idea that it's actually whipping. Like, actually trying to whip you. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. (laughs) And you're just like, this is a wet spaghetti noodle. Stop. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, fate, fate is not intervening in this. This is not destiny at all. No, no. So let me get my dice count right. It's three for my skill and trait. They're both at three, then two for flare, and then my two bonus die from the two skills I'm activating. Mm -hmm. I would like to use the helping hand advantage to assist an ally, giving her three bonus dice for a risk without Hmm. spending a hero point. Oh, wow. So why don't you tell me about the weaponry you brought to this excursion, and I'll tell you how it's spruced up a little bit. Ooh, I love this. It's got to be all of her throwing knives. And if you were to ask, how many do you have on you, Angelica? Yes. Are some of them Christmas presents from Diego? Absolutely. You even have the toothpick dagger! Oh, last candle nights on the thorn. Everyone gave Angelica a gift, and they were all kind of the same size and shape. And opening them all, they were all different special knives from the officers on the crew. And you'd think she'd start to be a little, ah, another knife. But no, she was like, oh my god, it's beautiful for every single one. (laughs) 
She got eight instances of the same present. None of us told each other. We all thought we were so cool and special for thinking (laughs) of it. Oh my god. (laughs) You all thought the same thought. I'll get the captain a knife. She loves knives. But nobody coordinated. (laughs) You all show up, and as she opens the first gift, it's like, yeah, a a, a knife. Huh. Mm, Wow, how original. (laughs) Had to be a real knife. Oh no, it had to be a knife, didn't it? Ugh. Yeah, but by the end of the night, she's just cuddled up next to Saya Holding with all, all the pretty them. knives laid out on one of their scarves and just weeping quietly. Yes. Now whenever I fight, no matter what it's like, I have everyone by my side. Oh, I fucking love that. Yes. Take your three spicy dice from that. Anybody else? I will preface that statement with, I only have one more D10 currently out. You can spend hero points to give yourself dice, but it's one for one. Okay. What if I spend a hero point to give Saya some stuff? Clever. I mean, you've got enough hero points. Can you give yourself one and give Saya some? Order of operations. Will you allow that? And could I decide how many to give her after I find out how many raises I get? Because I think it'd be really fun if I end up being able to give her the same amount. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? I like that a lot. But before that, I gotta tell you, consequences and opportunities. Yeah, of course. The consequences are that you're on the Heartbreaker, and it's just the two of you against his entire entourage. Now, the Heartbreaker is not a large vessel. It's not a a brig or a frigate or a galleon or a man of war or anything like that. Sure. But it is slightly bigger than you. It is a typical sloop. And so, mm-hmm. I'd say there's probably about 15 people here, Max. Maybe 20 if I'm if I'm feeling a little danger, which I am. I am feeling a little dangerous. So you can have 20. Ah, thanks. I appreciate it. <laughs> there are two brute squads of 10 entirely on top of Mateo himself, who is a villain on the scene. For the record, he is it's like rank 7. Three of that being influence. So... He has five dice to roll, but he also has, you know, some duelist maneuvers because he does have his whip and he does use the Mundabi Flay maneuver. So he is going to be rolling dice too. That's your opposition. Your opportunities is that the Heartbreaker hasn't changed a goddamn bit since the last time you were on it. Mm-hmm. So you can use bits of the Heartbreaker that you know were put there for aesthetics, but not really for function against this captain. She fought on the Heartbreaker for a couple years. I am going to spend two danger points to give myself four extra dice. My pool is now nine. Okay. I'm going to spend four hero points on assisting the captain. The three, I guess, four with Diego, uh, remaining Iglesias brothers are going to be sitting on the railing with cigars Yo! (laughs) Just watching and trusting the captain 500%. I would like to make mention that all of you have muskets that are loaded. Not in the event that Angelica and Saya need help. In the event that the cowards try to flee. (laughs) Nice. You will pick them off as they try to dive into the water. Why do I feel like this is not the first time something like this has happened? And everyone's just like, oh, Captain's off ship? Yeah, let's go watch. This is movie night. (laughs) 
Everyone's up on the railings with snacks and like binoculars. Like half the crew is up there. Yeah, it's one of those things like on an airplane, the brace command actually means a chain of other commands. So Captain Disembarking shouted from Angelica's quarters means run that series of commands, everybody. It's like, okay, great. As the camera kind of pans over to the Iglesias brothers all sitting there with cigars and their muskets and everything, Tulio comes up with a big giant bowl of popcorn and uh, sets it on the small little barrel that is uh, in between all of them. Dala comes up with fish snacks from home. Mallory. Mallory might be doing something else at the moment. Yeah, Mallory's got some things cooking. Maybe. (laughs) We'll see. Kieran walks out. Captain's disembarked. Place your bets. Gabriella, come on up here. You're the best at math. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone pulls up a barrel or chair or some kind of implement of seating or sits in the rigging or the shrouds or whatever. And it's just going to watch the fucking show because that's what this is. This is their downtime. Wesley, by the way, has his nasty ass bent fucking notebook and is just copious taking notes just watching this whole thing. Captain's pulled off a triple axle (laughs) double pirouette axe throw into a man's shoulder. Everyone in range (laughs) golf claps. He's a fucking commentator. But with like ice skating, so he's naming all the things she's doing because she's named them. (laughs) Comes up top and sees that Alejandro is there smoking a cigar with a musket and there's a small little conversation there and he uh, delightfully explains what's going on, pulls up a chair for Alvara so that she can sit next to him. It is Alejandro who is sitting there and all right, and Saya has moved in to close the distance and the gap. And meanwhile, Wesley's over here like, I have not seen a move like that since the last time it happened. I cannot believe this. We're about five seconds in and already three goons are down to place bets. Five goons in the first 10 seconds. Yep. All right. All right. Meanwhile, Kieran is grabbing coins and placing the bets. Gabriella has a big giant chalkboard. She's got her tartan on, no shirt, but the fucking like mm-hmm. visor cap. Oh my god. god. So fucking good. It's the whole amazing. Scene, the whole scene is great. Chef's kiss. So my question is, do I take any more dice from what Diego just spent? Four hero points worth of dice. So how much is a hero point? A hero point is worth two raises. One, two, Holy shit. two dice or two raises? Okay. Two raises. Oh, just flat. Just two raises. Nice. Okay. I guess we'll start with six then or eight. What did you spend, Diego? I gave you four. Okay. Eight raises. Cool. Dala, if you want to help out, there's a flashback we can go to like the last time Angelica had a complicated relationship with an ex and Dala's like, you got to kick him <laughs> to the curb, babe. He's not worth it. <laughs> Stop wasting your energy on this. <laughs> but what if I spent a lot of energy on it? Like, what if I spent so much it, it came around? Like, it just came back to the start, and then it was like I spent no energy at all. That's not how that works. This is Dala doing a little <laughs> little friend therapy. I will happily, happily spend a hero point to give you more. Actually, I just had a fucking brain blast. Dala, what the fuck is your story step right now? Uh, to teach someone carpentry or some other form of, like, craft. Learn by teaching. Uh Uh-huh. I have this brain blast of this little flashback moment of you and Angelica sitting down, and she is dealing with this breakup, this, like, toxic relationship, and you are using metaphor through carpentry to explain to her how bad the situation is. 
and how you just need to replace the mast. Do you think we're actually like fixing the mast after like a storm or something? And Dala can't do it by herself. Oh, I love the idea of us having run into Mateo before where we actually fought and he like fucked up the first version of the thorn. <sighs> Fuck. Oh, that's good. That's very good. And back then you still had complicated feelings. I feel like that kind of explains the banter. You've seen each other a couple of times since. It's not just like, oh, it's been years. It's like, oh, you again. Yeah. And that's why it's like playful, but also mean. And it's like, because it's the first time, she didn't have any zippy one-liners because she just wasn't as ready. Mm -hmm. So she was all just up in her head afterwards. I want to see that moment. completely fucked that up. Now he thinks I'm such a loser and he wrecked our ship. God damn it! I don't care what he thinks, but I hate what he might think about us. Dala definitely lets Angelica rant for the first several minutes and just is pulling out tools and kind of measuring things and looking it over and like actively listening, but just letting Angelica go off. It's like, I have so much to be grateful for right now. And like hands her a tool. Uh, Thank you. Bang, 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 bang. Cold this? She's going a mile a minute, but her hand is completely still helping you set something or hold it steady. Is listening perfectly to Dala and following all of her instructions while also just going off. Because this is a flashback, I think Dala speaks even less than she does now. In the present, she's very talkative. In the past, I think she just not even was shy, just like didn't really speak that much. We hadn't built the rapport yet of you can tell me anything because you're my doctor. Mm Mm-hmm. It just wasn't quite there yet. Yeah. I also like the idea of Angelica being really smart and being able to get what Dala means very easily. Mm-hmm. Saya is so amazing and patient with me. And Kirin is worth 10 of the men that Mateo is. And he's in drag half the time, which I think is so cute and wonderful. And I just... Uh, so yeah, she just goes on and on about how like it shouldn't upset her this much. But it does. And she can't figure out why. And I think that's what she eventually ends on. She says... It was so long ago, and I should be over him, and I'm not. I just... It's like spiders crawling under my skin. As she says that, the wood is very brittle, and it shouldn't be this brittle, and as you brush it away, you realize that there's actually rot on the inside of the mass. It looks fine on the outside, but it's rotted on the inside. There's nothing that you can do. You have to replace it. Yep. Dala's gonna rip another chunk off and show it to Angelica to show how, like, soft and rotted it is on the inside, and just, like, pulls it apart with her bare hands points at it. I guess I couldn't see that there was a problem until he opened that wound again by showing up so rudely and attacking us like that. (sighs) But now, now it's done. It's done and I can move on because he's cut out of my life, just like how we're going to replace this mast. She hands Angelica the big axe and just kind of looks at the mast. I don't know the actual logistics of this, but like maybe does some rope stuff so Angelica can like just knock the mast out like a tree and Dala will have it like controlled fall. She's putting it in Angelica's hands like beat the shit out of this mast. Oh, I love that. Angelica, who only ever handles like small throwing knives with just (laughs) a massive axe, like here I fucking go. Thank you, Miss Bronson. I don't know how you do it, but somehow you always know exactly what to say. She takes a minute with Dala's carpenter's pencil and draws a little face with a curly mustache on <laughs> <Yes>! it. Yes! <laughs> yes! Thank you, Dala. I'll take it from here. Matteo Torani is a scoundrel and a dog shit captain. 
and she starts to hack at the wood. His gaudy pink ship? Whack! His ridiculous mustache? Whack! The way he carries that stupid whip around all the time? Whack! The time he left me to rot in a Crescent Empire prison? Whack! His wickedly perfect ass? Whack! Just decapitates the drawn version of him. <laughs> well, Talani, my crew and I, we're tight as fuck! Yes! Yes! It's a smash cut of her swinging the axe, and then we follow the axe as it swings down again, and it thuds into not the rotten mast, but a different one. Yes! Because she's fighting on the deck of the Heartbreaker. Yeah, baby, there it is. <laughs> There's the cut. And Dala's back on the thorn, just looking at her like, yeah, yeah, I know. You got this. Aww. <laughs> Eating her snacks and watching like, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I know you got this. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm starting with 10 raises. <laughs> well, Dala is spending a hero point to give you three extra dice. That's what's happening there. Okay. <gasps> the ship cats also hop up on the railing to watch. Of course they do. Sweet little void. I think I have the right amount. Can I roll now? And I'm also going to roll. I'm, I'm probably not going to get as many raises. That's for fucking sure. So much math to be done now. Oh, wow, Mateo. You're, uh... It's a lot of ones. Pretty shit at this. <laughs> <laughs> he's really flustered now. He's got an audience. He's not used to uh, performing in front of an audience. Not like this. <laughs> Doesn't do voyeurism. It's not, not his thing. He's not an exhibitionist. That's right. oh, Sorry, exhibitionism. That's the one. I'm not a fan. He gets performance anxiety. <laughs> it is. He's got stage fright. He's got five raises, so... Oof. Big oof. Okay. A 10, an 8 and a 2, a 9 and a 1, another 9 and a 1, another 9 and a 1, 7 and a 3, 6 and a 4, and then a 13 made of a 5, 4, and 4? Oh my god. Yeah. 18. Yep. Oh my god. Wow. No remainders. No fucking remainders. <sighs> so 9 and 9 is what I'm hearing? What do you mean? You're going to keep nine raises and you're going to give nine raises to your lovely wife? Hmm. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Unless you'd like me to keep more of them and tell you what I do with them all instead. The fact that your story step says Angelica and Saya, that you both work in tandem and that your raises are evenly split down the middle with nine. Basically, what I'm going to do is I'm going to hand you the camera. <laughs> you are now the camera crew. You're the production of this scene. Sure. You tell me how you dispatch 20 people, uh, two brute squads of 10, and also how you absolutely put Mateo Whiplash Torani in his fucking place. This is a lot of pressure, but it's also a group effort. Thank you, crew. Crew the Thorn, everyone. This is a group project. <laughs> <laughs> I'm... Just presenting. I'd like to use fish in a barrel. Oh, shit. <laughs> what does fish in a barrel do for our lovely listeners at home? Your hero must have the Deadeye advantage in order to purchase this advantage. She does. When you make an aim risk using a pistol, blunderbuss, or thrown weapon, such as a knife or axe, spend a raise to reduce the strength of a brute squad by your ranks in finesse. My rank in finesse is three. So one of them will immediately go from 10 to seven. And then to four, and then to one. Mm-hmm. And the other brute squad, from 10 to seven, seven to four, and four to one. That's six 
of my nine raises. Uh-huh. Saya will spend a raise on the remaining two crew members of the Heartbreaker, so she's at seven. And this plays out like a, a dance. It's a dance that she and Saya perform on the deck, dipping each other to avoid shots from muskets or pistols. There's a couple points where Angelica will leap out onto the rail of the ship, holding Saya's hand to stop herself and grab a thrown weapon that someone threw at them and then spin around and whip it back the whole time, tossing flirty remarks and shooting bedroom eyes at each other. And I think that, I mean, you say Mateo is a duelist, so he's got some shit he can do. I'm going to go ahead and spend all five of my raises just to try and save face. (laughs) (laughs) Tries to grab one of your daggers, completely misses, grabs one of his dude's wrists instead and accidentally pulls it directly in the line of your cut. Just shenanigans like that. You guys are perfectly in tandem and he is just not. Yeah, I mean, he keeps tripping over the bodies that fall in front of him. Yes, (laughs) yes, absolutely. So... It comes down to Angelica and Mateo. They're facing off together. She pulls a couple daggers out of a mast, a body laying in a heap, the deck of the ship, so that she has a few keyed up and ready to go. She plays out the whole encounter in her mind first, in slow motion as she approaches, and then the actual sequence itself only takes a couple of seconds. A dagger to his hand, he drops the whip. She picks up the whip and flicks it in reverse so that the handle hits him in the chin and knocks him back. And then she rushes him and shoves one dagger into his coat and pins him against the rail, another into his sleeve, which disables his dominant hand. And then lastly, her hairpin, she pulls it out in a flourish of brown curls and holds it right up at his jugular. Okay, okay, okay. Come at me in my ship again, Mateo. And they will not be so merciful. And we see that everyone around who in the action sequence looked like they were being dispatched is actually just pinned somewhere or they were hit in a non-vital spot. His crew is, for all intents and purposes, fine. (coughs) Radiant as ever, Karamia. You win. There is a move from Messiah's sorcery track which burns a 20-foot radius area to obliteration. Oh. (laughs) What? What? You're just going to nuke his ship. I love it. Holy shit. You're going to sacred flame the ship? (laughs) That stupid pink (laughs) ship. Send it straight to hell. I'd like to spend her last seven raises to do that. So I'm also going to spend a danger point here. She sweeps out her leg all the way out in a circle, comes all the way around, and when she completes the circle, there is a blinding light that emits from her. We hear the sound of glass or crystal shards grinding against each other, and the camera sees Saya's wings flare out. We had said her wings are made of lightning, right? It's very abstract their prisms and so the light is constantly bouncing in between the prisms and when they flare out each of those prism points touches a surface and when it does it lights them on fire with this white hot golden flame the ship is burning 
and Saya's wings dim a little so they're not as blinding to look directly at. Angelica takes her needle away from Mateo's throat and uses it to point over at Saya. It would never have worked between us, darling. That's my wife. Yes. <laughs> Angelica walks through the burning white fire that's consuming the heartbreaker, goes over to Saya and gives her a long, dramatic kiss. As she pulls away, she puts her hair up again using the hairpin, putting it back, and she looks over and winks at Mateo. Saya's wings glow again, and in a flash, the two of them are gone. And they just arrive back on the thorn in the midst of everybody who's been watching them. Yes, to the raucous applause. Mr. Pendragon, you have the helm. Our quarters now? Fine, stop talking. Kieran? Angelica, he grabs you by the wrists and starts pulling. Oh, fucking finally. A special occasion. We cut over to uh, Mateo, still pinned up against the mast watching his ship burn and his crewmates trying to like remove the daggers and where they've been pinned and they're on the ground and we could see like the fucking little spirals and the little birds and shit flying around. Mateo sighs and says, Well, at least I still have my mustache. And it just floats into his hand. No. It was cut off a long time ago. It was just held there by the wind. No, 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 no. no. And then blows into the fire. No, no, <laughs> no, 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 Angelica! <laughs> <laughs> but it just fades into cheering from the crew of the Thorn. Angelica! Yes, yes. We rewind time just slightly to when the captain said, Captain disembarking. We zoom in to Mallory's lab. Mallory, what are you doing? Take the camera for a bit and show us. It's pretty simple what Mallory's doing. They heard the call, they perked up, they peeked out long enough to see that Saya was also going with her, and long enough still to see that Kieran had left the quarters. They hand Alvara the telescope and say, you're gonna want this. And they walk out as though they are also going to be watching, but while everyone starts to gather up and take note of the battle happening on the other ship, they just sort of sneak around everyone until they make it their way over to the door to the captain's quarters. And they just walk right in. Mallory's gonna attempt to crack a safe. Alright, this is a risk. It sure is. Pop back into the writer's room. I need your approach. We are going to be using probably Wits and Notice. That'll be eight dice off the bat. Nice. Take two for Flare. Two for Flare, 10. One from Eagle Eyes. One from Eagle Eyes, 11. I can't imagine there's anything else I could use. Oh, uh, this is only <laughs> small one. Can I earn a hero point when I use my technological savvy to solve a problem? Yes. And... Could you say I am earning a hero point to put myself in harm's way in pursuit of knowledge? Yes. Cool. Hey, doctor, do you want some bonus dice? <laughs> yeah. From you, my my sweet captain, whose quarters I am actively infiltrating. We get a brief flashback of a conversation between Mallory and Angelica early on in their professional relationship. Doctor, in your opinion, who is the greatest locksmith or safe maker in all of Thea? I want to replace my lockbox with the best. 
And you told her a specific brand or a notable craftsman, and that's what you see in front of you is a safe by them. Mm-hmm. Because she took your advice. Yep. Yep. Oh my god, that's excellent. I'll spend one of the many hero points I've been hoarding <laughs> and didn't have to use in my encounter. Fucking hell. So that's 14 now? Yep. I'll spend one hero point of my own since I have a few to burn. Does that get me a raise or does that get me an extra dice? That gives you an extra die. Cool, cool, cool. So we'll make that 15. I'm spending a danger point. Spend away. This safe is one of Victor von Hasseldorf's. Oh, that's who I recommend it? Oh, boy. Not only is it one of the best locksmiths in the world, there is a safety mechanism if anybody tries to pick it. Just like in the manacles. Poison? (laughs) Not poison. If the lock is incorrectly picked or broken in any way, it will release that chemical. And that chemical will eat whatever is in that safe. Oh, fuck. I might invoke Spark of Genius when I make a risk and call upon my specialized field of study. I can spend a hero point to gain additional raises equal to my wits. Hey, you know what? That sounds pretty good. Let's do that. I'm going to mark off a hero point, And so that means whatever I get, it will also have an extra four raises. Okay, great. Fucking awesome. Holy shit. I'm a smart, smart individual. It is going to take five raises. One to do the thing. Yep. Two to make it so that the toxin doesn't release. Yep. And two more to relock it as if it was never opened. Yep. Easy. I have four guaranteed raises, and I'm rolling 15 dice. I'm going to spend my last danger point. To put a snake inside. (laughs) You don't need to make 10s. You need to make 15s. Lordy, that's new. Mm -hmm. It's the first time we're using it. Okay, cool. Cool, 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 cool. I'd say there's two opportunities in this safe. Okay. I don't know what they are. Natalie does. Ooh. Clarify what I have to come up with here. Opportunities? Something that Angelica would keep in her safe away from all the rest of the crew whether there's secret information in there, whether there's a very special item that you don't want known, especially since this dichotomy, this dynamic specifically, was no more secrets. Something to spend raises on to gain. Okay. Shall I roll first and give Natalie some time to come up with something? Yeah. 15 dice, success target 15. Roll the bones. Let's roll. Roll them bones. Oh, (laughs) well... I saw a 10 and I was like, great. Nope. All right. Five raises, no traitors. Send roll. I have nine in total with Spark of Genius. It's fine. It's fine that I don't have any traitors. Natalie, what have you got for opportunities here? I gotta be honest, Zoe. I've been having a real hard time coming up with stuff she would keep in a safe. I mean, she's been pretty honest about everything with the people she's close to up to this point. So I've got a couple ideas. I just don't know if any of them will, like, uh, fit within the canon and the lore of the greater story. Well, I mean, we're in the writer's room, so let's talk about it. I know that I keep my birth certificate in a safe, so anything like that, any documents that are important to Angelica could be in there. Any important keepsakes, things of the like. 
any ideas? Anything kicking around in there? Do we need more tea? So one thing I had considered is that there is a letter from some noble and it grants Angelica a letter of Mark. Ooh. Or something that would pardon her, Saya, and Kieran if the ship were ever taken, but it does not include everyone else's name. Oh. oh they take a loud sip of tea. <laughs> oh, wow, that's hot tea. God, does that stir the pot and open up the way for a lot of misunderstandings that could happen now? <laughs> Oh my god. It's almost too juicy. Holy shit. Oh, it's so good, though. Now, the other thing. Anything from the devil, Jonah? I don't think there is anything physical that would represent her connection to the devil, Jonah. It's already been represented on her thread, so I think that might just be that. Mm-hmm. And if she had an artifact, she'd probably keep that on her person at all times, like she did with the bottle. Yeah. Would Saya keep anything in there? Saya? Saya could have something in the safe, and this could tie into her backstory and her reason for becoming an assassin. So I will ask, Zoe, what does a slain Devi look like? Spicy Christ! Oh, this, hey Zoe, this could actually work out in a lot of ways. Oh my fuck. And you said you didn't have any good ideas, Natalie? Is that what you said? This is what blanking Natalie looks like. Listen, it's not my game, so I wasn't sure if this would be okay. No, no, Natalie, don't understand. That's kind of genius. Okay, well, I am absolutely blown away by your suggestion. Why is there a dead Devi in your safe? Part of Saya's backstory is that before she met Angelica... Before they became the unstoppable duo who can take out an entire ship's crew by themselves. Saya lived in the Crescent Empire. She was a normal farmer, shepherd, and her entire village was slain by a Sonderis sorcerer. So she climbed the Green Mountain. She went through all the things that practitioners of Nawaru go through to become an assassin of the Green Mountain. She unlocked something within herself during that time and she went back and got her revenge. And she kept whatever was left. <sighs> Fucking hell. And that's something that she keeps in the safe. It's a reminder to her of where she came from and what revenge looked like for her. That's part of why she and Angelica are together, is that they share this path of vengeance as a defining thing about their lives. This is so Ooh, juicy! Yes, yes, yes. I fucking... Love it. I love it so much. I love it so fucking much. I'm gonna give you something that doesn't exist in the game. What? I'm gonna give you a fate point. A fate point acts much like a hero point. You can use it whenever you wish. However, you can use it on story elements. If there's something that you don't like, or that you think would be way more interesting... You can spend a fate point. You get to be the narrator, and you tell us what happens. Within reason. That is what a fate point is for. What the fuck? That's pretty cool. You can only get one, and you can only hold one. And you cannot give them to other people. But you can spend them on other people and other people's scenes. So have that fate point. It's on my sheet. All right. 
Mallory, the apple is definitely in the safe, we know. There's also a letter of Mark and the body of a dead Devi. And because your story step is worded in such a way, we're going to spend those raises here before we go into narration. So it's one raise to take any item and replace it with something equal. Something mundane, something that's easy. At a quick glance, you wouldn't question it. I think it might be more if you want it to be convincing. How many? Because I only had four extra, and I don't know if I've got enough for the letter of Mark too. I think one more extra per item. So there's three items in there. So it would be six raises total to take all of the things and replace them seamlessly. Okay. Definitely spent raises for the star. Definitely spent raises for the apple. Are you replacing the apple with anything? All right, folks. What's funnier? Mallory replacing the apple with, like, a bag of sand, Indiana Jones style? Or replacing it with a regular apple painted gold? Or just a regular apple. What if it's just... (laughs) A regular apple core. (laughs) (laughs) It's not even an apple, it's a lime. (laughs) That's really funny. (laughs) Yeah, because then, oh god, that's so, because right in an emergency, Angelica runs in and goes to bite the apple, she bites into a lime. (laughs) It's a lemon, so she's even more disappointed. It's not even a lime, so it's her favorite. Just a different yellow fruit. Yeah, these are all good options. Whatever you think's best, Emery. Go with your heart. <laughs> I d- oh, they're all so funny. I think it has to be a lime because Mallory didn't plan this far ahead. They only just heard the captain was out of the ship. Yeah, so it's the thing that's most around. Exactly. <laughs> I love that. If you're just doing a cursory look, everything is in its place. Do I want that letter of Mark, though? <laughs> I think just having that information is good. Go big or go home. Fuck it. I love drama. We're taking the letter of Mark. (laughs) Fuck yes. Show me, with these nine raises, how this goes. As we transition back out of the writer's room. All right. So Mallory actually takes Astra out of their pocket because they need to be a very good listener right now. They set them on the table beside them, and they press their ear against the safe, and ever so slowly, they begin turning the knob, and they wait to hear some clicks, and then they turn it the other way till they hear a click. Mallory, you hear in your head. Doctor. Hush, Astra, I need to listen, and you need to rest. What are you doing? I'm saving you, damn it. By keeping me in a safe? No, I'm getting what's in it. I don't think Angelica's birth certificate is going to prove useful to our cause. It's the apple of knowledge, you silly star. If there exists something that'll cure you, I'll know about it by the time I'm done in this room. Mallory, you made a promise to the captain. I am not a Davi nor a she, Astra. I'm a filthy liar, and I can break whatever promises I want. You don't need to break your deal on my account. We also said no more secrets. If that remains true, then there's nothing in this safe that I am not promised in our agreement. And if it can save your life, then it's a deal worth breaking. Mallory. They can hear, like, the cheering of, like, okay, the fight is wrapping up. Oh, God, she's on her way back. Mallory starts panicking and misses one of the tumblers, but they take, like, a hairpin off of Angelica's desk 
to like jam it between like the hinge to make sure the chemical doesn't release so nothing's destroyed. And they slowly bend the hairpin so it's back into place. You breathe a bit and get back into it, and within just a few moments, it clicks open and it opens. So I've spent raises to open it and not release the chemical for sure. Okay. There is a letter, not unlike the ornate letter from the invitation. You open it, you read it, and it is in fact a letter of Mark. But it's only for Saya and Kieran and Angelica. But you are quickly torn away from that because sitting inside the safe is a lantern. A lantern that has no glass. And inside that lantern is a stone that's cut in half. That stone looks very familiar. <sighs> in front of you, in this glassless lantern, is the body of a dead Devi. The corpse of a star. Mallory gasps and takes a couple steps back and does a double take, a triple take, a quadruple take. And that's when Saya's blinding light rips through the window. Mallory, the window, shut it, shut it! They shut the window, they grab Coco and they also grab the two halves of the stone. They curl up on the ground and they hold a couple of dead and dying stars as heavenly hellfire rages outside. We see through the flash of everything, these blips. Even though it's covered, even though you've closed the curtains, it still blinds everything. And we see the silhouette of Mallory curled over these two, and it shifts. It does that cool camera thing where it's like black on white contrast. The silhouette changes the third time. And instead of you crouched over the two small blue stones, you're crouched over the curled up body of Coco, of Astra, in his human form. And as soon as the light dies down, he is breathing heavily and clutching to you. And when you lean up to get your bearings, you see that he is bleeding from the mouth there's silver on his teeth. His eyes that are underneath yours aren't there because he's taken them back. And he looks up at you with the flickering light of dead stars in his eyes. And he's in so much pain, but he's trying very hard to hide it from you. Zoe, are we out of time? You're not. He is. Fuck, fuck, fuck. <sighs> Mallory. That light, it's the same as it was in the beginning. You know that story, right? If Theus said unto Terra, let there be light. Astra, hush, you don't have the strength of dying for crying out loud. Mallory, it burned her. So Terra rejected it, casting herself in empty night. But when she took in humanity... She wanted them to see her creations. And so she wished, and Prometheus fell, and became the first fire Devi, and gave light to man. And Theus, in his spite, gave the Ahura his light to outshine us. 
Alright, forget about the first days. Forget about Theus. This time is going to be different. This time... And they push the apple into his hands. This time the Devi is the one receiving the gift of knowledge, not the other way around. Right? Did I get that right? Morningstar Mind, please eat this and tell me I'm right. This must heal you. This must be what gets you strong again. I know it. I know this. Mallory Mine, you know better. No, shut up. I know I can I know I can solve this. I know I can. He takes their hands and cups it around the apple, pushing it back into their chest. This was always meant for you. And you'll finally know everything. His hands fall from yours. The heartstone in his chest goes dark. The stars in his eyes go black. And Astra stops breathing. Fuck, no, come back. Please come back. I can't do this without you, Astra. I can't do this without you. Come back. (laughs) And they press their hand to the center of his chest, right on top of the scarred meteorite embedded in his ribcage, and they start pushing down, trying to get his heart going again. Come on, damn it! And then they stop. And they look to the discarded shards of the corpse star. Between the tears and the choked breaths, there's this this sudden spark of inspiration. Oh, oh my god. Stars eat other stars. And they drag the broken star to them and and lift a piece in each hand, just trembling. Uh, One half is placed to the right of his gem, one to the left, as if they're orbiting it, not yet touching. No time to test a galactic collision on an earthly scale. Fuck, Hellfire, you better be right about this. And before they bring the pieces together, they lean down and place their mouth next to his ear. I, I know I don't command you often, but this time, Astra Kokoretsi, the astral smoke, the seventh star, my light at the end of the world, this time I command that you do not go out. And they take a big breath and press their mouth to his, pushing air back into his lungs, pushing the star stones into his chest, having tried every earthly and unearthly thing they can think of to bring life back to what is dead. There is no galactic impact, no collision of elements, and for a long time, there is nothing. Mallory, you suddenly realize you cannot hear anything except the beating of your own heart. The space around you has become a vacuum. There is no sound. Then, green star smoke erupts from Astra's chest and pours over his body, obscuring it. The smoke takes the form of the seven-pointed star, connected at the point of contact where Mallory's hands are. The wash of eyes are closed, but slowly they begin to open one at a time until Astra's smoke begins to billow out of the pair he has lended you, Mallory. As the smoke combines into a brilliant teal, it swirls and coalesces into the form of the bookkeeping Strix in the lighthouse. The sound of wings snap out. But instead of a blinding, hellish light, stars 
glittering in every shade of blue imaginable, are blown into the air like seeds of dandelions. These are the wings of a great owl, with feathers black as night, speckled in silver and gold, as though galaxies were painted on them. They nearly knock you back as all twelve feet of them stretch and raise and fold back in. Then, the smoke unfurls again, consuming the creature and reshaping it into a man. We hear a deep gasp from Astra, and he keeps gasping. He takes in the air until the last wisps of cosmic vapor are devoured. Astra shuts his mouth, audibly gulps, and wipes the crumbs of teal stardust from his lips. He looks over at you and gives you a sheepish grin. <laughs> My apologies. That wasn't very human of me. <laughs> uh, Astra, I don't give a damn. And they kiss him. Yes! There it is, folks! We got it! <laughs> okay, so Astra recoils and eyes open wide in surprise, kind of leans back a bit, and then... His arms just wrap around you. His eyes close and he gets into that kiss with you. <sighs> Woo! Finally, he breaks away, reaches over to grab the apple before it rolls an innocuous corner and holds it out to you. I trust you have a decoy. I'm going to be so honest with you, Coco. I was going to put one of Angelica's limes in there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mallory. I adore you. And he brings you back in for another fierce kiss. <laughs> a little bit of star smoke reaches out, grabs a lime out of Angelica's bowl of limes on her desk. <laughs> and it floats over to you. It goes in the Bible. We'll put that back in there. And we have to kind of rush it because we can hear Angelica returning. So we are leaving out the back route. <laughs> Yeah, they've finished the foreplay. Oh, yeah. You just hear the rattle of the doorknob as someone's hastily fumbling to open it. (laughs) (laughs) Saya is trying to mount Angelica as though she is a mast. (laughs) Oh, it's about to get fucking steamy in here. Mm -hmm. There is not a single chance that you're, like, hiding under the bed or anything. It's the passion pit. There's no way to hide under it. The bed's in the floor. <laughs> oh, God, that's right. You gotta go. Oh you gotta get out of there right now. Mallory's gone. They're gone. Does it cost raises to launch myself into the ocean? Gotta protect the letter, though. Oh, yeah, you can't just leap out a window. How many hero points do you have? We'll use a couple hero points. I've got a yeah, very important letter. Okay, give me a quick hand. I have to get out of here. He is already at the balcony, wings open, arm out. By your will. Takes his hand. He picks you up in a princess carry. Such a gentleman. Then he just takes a step and drops as soon as the door to the captain's quarters opens and the three of them pile in. We don't get to see what goes on in there, but we do get to watch as an owl carrying Mallory in its dark talons, swoops so low to the water that Mallory can touch it with their fingertips as they glide around the ship. The star-studded avian finally flaps its wings in silence, and when they land, he turns into Astra again, 
and he carries Mallory into their lab, using the entrance needed to access the harpoon outside. Thank you, Morningstar. Always, Mallory mine. He leaves a long kiss on your forehead, and then places his forehead against yours. You saved my life. And now that I have all my energy back, allow me to show you my gratitude. Oh, you devil. And he starts kissing you again. <laughs> Wait, Astra, the door. Be not afraid, Mallory mine. They haven't caught us yet. And the camera fades to black on that, as you can imagine. It's a beautiful place to end. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. Our flag means fuckery. Oh, it sure does. <laughs> this whole crew means fuckery. <laughs> Incredible opportunities there, Natalie. I don't know what you're fucking talking about. Those were so fucking good. I didn't want to break the game. They were almost too good. I was just coming up with the wildest shit I could think of, and it worked out. You're really good at that. <laughs> Thank you. And for it, you got a fate point. Yeah. Fuck. A mechanic Zoe had to invent just for you. Who knows what sort of crazy stuff I might do with that. We'll have to find out. In the next one. <laughs> You're so right, Natalie. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time, friends. And remember, be safe and well. <laughs> <laughs>